0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Open to Alchemy podcast. I am here with Marnie Grodzin, and I am so, so excited for this incredible conversation to be. Marnie and I have known each other for a little while through our Atlanta community, and I know she's going to have so much incredible wisdom to share with you. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I should have said Marnie is the founder of Gathered and Grounded, so she can tell us about that, but you also seem to always have your hands in like a lot of different things, which I love. So if you just want to introduce yourself and just share a little bit about what you're up to. Sure. So I think
1: the important thing to know is I'm a social worker, and then I think that helps explain why I have my hands (laughs) to open (laughs) um but since you mentioned founder of gathered and grounded at one point it was a physical space and now it's it's still gonna continue on and it's kind of morphing but the idea behind it is to provide space for all behavioral health for youth and those who care for them and so now we know you know with this pivot we've had you know i can still do that and i can still collaborate and create things and we've done it a little bit virtually and you know when I mean, life is starting to kind of get back and out there. We'll be able to do things with kids and adults outside or other locations. And what I didn't realize probably until I created Gathered and Grounded, and it was a, a physical space for three years, is there's this big creative part to my brain to my thinking. And it's what helps me, I think, kind of balance my mental health. And so that's the other part to, I think, explaining why it looks like my hands are everywhere because like I need to create and, you know, that might be my professional world or outside and that type of thing. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's how I would think I would describe myself.
0: I love that. I don't know your human design type, but I feel like the way you're describing it sounds very much like like me and my design, which is that of a manifesting generator, which means that we definitely have this intense sort of visceral need to create, to move. And it's sometimes it's so funny. And tell me if you feel this way too, that yes, the end product is important and you're excited, but the the time and the creation is really just magical.
1: I totally agree with that. And so I would say like the process of it. And then along that as well is like a connector. I've learned that I'm a connector and that's, I kind of say sometimes that's my Christmas morning. Like if I've connected to people who then they can collaborate or they just need to hear each other's stories, you know, that just excites me. And so it's, it's definitely the process too. And I have this personal motto. I don't even know how I came up with a personal motto. I had to probably did some exercise at some point, you know, about eight, 10 years ago, and it's connecting people and building bridges. And I think at the core of it, that's what gets me up in the morning and excited. And if I look at everything I have done and without forcing it and without saying, Oh, I have to go do this. It's just my nature. It all kind of falls into that motto. So I guess when we say a motto Sometimes people create a motto to keep them on the right track or to remind them. So now I'm thinking maybe it's more of the descriptor of who I am. Yeah,
0: um, it sounds almost like your your mission, your purpose, like along those lines.
1: Purpose. Yeah. Yes.
0: Purpose. That's I it. I'm that gonna
1: change my tagline. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so starting with gathered and grounded, because it was a really beautiful special place. Where did that idea come from? How did that go from some sort of idea in your head to building a physical location for that?
1: I can remember back, so my son's about ready to be 20. And when he was two, we lived in Texas at the time and uh, we were sitting in a restaurant that had like windows where you could see right into another space. It's kind of like one of those little planned, you know, shopping districts. And there used to be, it was um, like, not Dick Van Dyke, but his, his sibling had opened randomly where I lived this like soda fountain type shop. And there was this little stage and I looked across and there were what I assume kids like with karaoke, maybe they were poetry. I don't know. And I just thought, how cool is that? Like how cool to have a space that empowers and inspires kids. So from there, it was like, oh, it'd be cool to have a coffee shop like around kids and this. And then as I matured, I'm like, oh, there is that bottom line. Are you going to make money? Mm Because typically when kids and teenagers, I should say teenagers come in, it's not like they have a tremendous, you know, spending power. Right. So fast forward, I end up here in Georgia, moved here from Texas my professional world as far as license that I carry, like the alphabet soup type of thing. I was an LCSW and you don't even want to get me talking about that, but it didn't necessarily transfer. It wasn't an easy thing to continue with that here when I moved here. So, which was like seven years ago. So what I decided to do is that first year, like be a no person rather than a yes person, which now that I'm saying this out loud, makes me go back to my purpose, like connecting people and building bridges because I used to say yes to everything. And when I was younger, just kind of not knowing how to say no and ego, like, Oh, they're asking me to do this. Of course I have to say yes, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I moved here, I'm like, okay, it has to be the year of no, because I want to figure out this community, figure out this space, get my kids settled, my family settled. And just through that process, just naturally connections were made, learning what, you know, I don't know if they asked me to volunteer, if I would ever say yes to that. Fast forward, just by being out there, going back to the connection thing, some things just fell in my lap, but a lot of what happened was I end up seeing what was going on with youth in the community. It's not exclusive to the Decatur, Atlanta area, but oftentimes, and when I say youth, kind of more of the teenage demographic, they're oftentimes left out in a community. So if you think what a city has to offer, the park district will have activities for kids and you'll see it for adults and the retired group. And you're not really find that for that teenage age group. And then on top of that, we know like that's the group when they start to go do things and experiment and take risks, which is all natural and, you know, normative for that age, frustrating and scary for the adults in their life. But, and so I'm like, there's a big hole here. So part that part knowing like the mental health, what I'd say crisis usage of you know drugs and alcohol and negative coping mechanisms there just needs to be a space that enters with them and focuses with them on them but then that other part of the mission for youth and those who care for them be adults that could be teachers fire but you know fire department police department because we're all connected so if you want to support one group Then all the other groups around them that they're connected to, if you support them, you're going to have better success. I mean, if you think in a classroom, if that a teacher in the classroom is having their needs met personally and professionally, it only makes sense. They're going to be at their best and the kids in the classroom are going to feel that. So kind of taking that concept and that's how Gathered and Grounded came about. I remember specifically, actually I was passing over train tracks and I was like, gathered and grounded. That sounds really good.
0: Wow. Oh, I love that. That's,
1: I mean, that's how it was. And then from there, everyone was surprised when I announced it because I didn't tell a soul. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell my husband until one day I was like, can we meet for lunch? And he brought me a cake pop. And he's like, you know, I brought this when I told him about it, which obviously there was money involved. He was relieved because he's like, I just wondered if, like, you were going to be talking about a divorce or something like that, which was, you know, (laughs) you weren't at that point or anything, right? Right. But that was a good thing because his expectations were like, oh my gosh, what's is she going to spring on me? But then I think that allowed him to be like, yes, do this because right, it wasn't the worst case that was happening in his
0: in his mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's maybe that was a long version of the story, but I think that was more of a quick version knowing how I typically say it, but that's how, that's how it came about.
0: (laughs) Well, there's so much wisdom in what you said for the people listening. First of all, I love that this little seed came into your being. You were someplace and this little spark, this little seed got planted And it didn't mean that you had to do something about it immediately. It didn't mean that you had to run out and and change it all. You allowed it to sort of grow, to take hold, to see, you knew there was something there and maybe weren't sure what it was going to be. So I think that's so inspirational for many of us who feel that any idea has to be acted on right away, whether it's fear of losing it or somebody else taking it. I'm recently reading um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. So there is something about this idea and idea generation and ownership that's been circling in my head. So I love that this was a seed that got planted. And when the time was right, location, finances, place in your life, it was birthed in like this magic setting.
1: Yeah. A lot of truth to that. And it's funny. I listen, I'm known to listen to podcasts. I mean, I listen to one every day in the shower. In fact, I've had to replace the iPhone because of that. But so there was one, you know, I listened to recently and it was about people have that aha moment and think it's that moment, like that moment that changed the world or changed my life. And they were talking about, it's not, that aha moment, because you had all this experience and everything that moved along to allow you to get to that moment. And the example they gave is Darwin and the theory that he came up with. People have talked about like, oh, you know, just all of a sudden here's this theory. But when they look at his journals over the years, all the information was there, like everything was there and he was writing about it and talking about it. But for whatever reason, there was something that day when he announced that, I don't know how he announced it, but, um, not on Instagram, not on Instagram. (laughs) Exactly. Can you imagine, but you know, I like that idea and it goes along with what, you know, you're saying is there's so much that builds up to anything that we do. I mean, we all know that we are the product of how we were raised, our decisions, all of that. But I think oftentimes When you hear of people having that aha, you know, moment or created something, especially now in the social media world, someone tells their story and you just hear about it, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, how did they come up with that? Like, gee, I need to sit here. I need to think of something creative that I can Mm -hmm. put out in the universe. And we don't see the backstory. We don't see like all that hard work or not hard work, because some things just happen naturally. But what allowed that person to get to that point?
0: Right, right. we're seeing their middle or their end of that book or that chapter, and not seeing all the work that has gone into it. And then you are comparing yourself to somebody else's result in a way, and, you know, can lead to feelings of less than and not enoughness and, and lack and all of that unpleasantness that we put on ourselves.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, that reminds me
1: when my son was young, he went to this basketball camp. He was surely not a basketball player, but as a young mom, I just needed him to go somewhere for like a week in summer. And so it was like the first day I dropped him off and this camp, they brought in a college athletes from around the country. And it was so cool. There's this big dude, this, you know, college guy. And he says to them, obviously this isn't an exact quote. But he's like, I want you to remember when you see Michael Jordan, when you see these stars, these athletes, you get to see their glory. You get to see what's going on there. What you don't see is all the hard work, all the dedication, the sacrifices, what they're not able to do because of the commitment that they've made to play in basketball. So you don't see what they might feel that they've, you know, not been able to take part of in life. And I just thought, wow, that's like so powerful. I
0: mean, that's it's- exactly the word that I was in my mind. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so
1: powerful. And we see anywhere from famous people to, you know, your neighbor next door, Generally speaking, we're seeing their glory moments because that's what people tend to post, right? And we don't take that time. I say we collectively don't take that time to stop and think this is one moment. And sometimes it's not even a moment. It's like a curated moment.
0: Absolutely. A curated moment. Mm-hmm. I love that you share that story. And I do think that's so powerful because for me, I don't think it's something that goes away. I think it's something that I always have to remind myself of that what I'm seeing, is it it real? And, And what is it making me feel? What am I allowing it to make me feel? Because I do think there is a value in this idea of expanders or people who have achieved something who are living your version of of freedom or joy or alignment or whatever your goals are. When you see that, it does show you that it's possible. It does show you that you too can achieve that. But honestly, a lot of the times I feel like that's where you need to cut it and not worry about their how and their why. And because all of our paths are so unique. And I think that's where a lot of times you get into trouble is you're trying to mimic or, or take on the same way that somebody else has achieved success or what even that success looks like. And I think that we, we all could benefit from really witnessing it and then separating from what it is that we're seeing because it's unrealistic and probably <laughs> unhealthy. You'll know better than I do with your background to have that constant standard to which we're holding ourselves. Like you're saying, you're seeing somebody's best day, best family picture, best vacation. That's not real life.
1: Right. We all have our talents and gifts too. And I mean, this might be kind of curving, you know, somewhere else, but it just came to mind. And I totally agree with what you're saying that we each have our own gifts, right? We all have our, our talents and things that, you know, well, that's not true. Sometimes we struggle in having that and we don't know. So right now I have in front of me, this is above my desk. It's a little tapestry and it says no longer a slave to fear. Mm. And so I think fear does get in the way and I loop back around what I was gonna say, and this will get back to fear actually, but I'm not a horrendous cook, but I'm a very boring cook. Like I'll be like, oh, we need some chicken and we need some vegetable and some starch like the whole 1970s child like how I was grown up but for the longest time I was the cook just based upon you know our lifestyle and where it was at when I opened gathered and grounded my husband became the cook and the family is so grateful because he's a creative when it comes to food he loves to go grocery shopping i despise it i go in there and i'm like oh you know my gosh But I look back to when I was younger, and I was a stay-at-home mom for a period of time, and the group of people I kind of hung around with, like, oh, I found this great recipe, and blah 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 blah. And I was like, oh my god, like that does not excite me. But I will tell you, I was going home and trying to find a recipe that I could cook because I'm like, that's a definition of a good mom. That's that's what the stay-at-home mom needs to do. I have that time. I need to serve. Everybody first, that whole typical saying. So now I'm going to bring it back to fear. And, you know, it's like that fear of being exposed in a way of like, that's not who I am. And not having the maturity and feeling like solid in where I was standing at the time to say, cooking, that is not my thing. Does not bring me joy and just be authentic and real with it. But instead, I just kind of went with it because that's what you do when you're a young and stay-at-home mom. And maybe, I mean, I'm not saying that was in my mind, you know, based upon the community I was in, that was my interpretation of it. And I'm sure if I talk to other people, they're like, where the heck did you get that? You know, but that's how I viewed it.
0: I mean, I can 100%, like I am you, I can relate to that so much in so many aspects and so many different genres or areas of life. And I think there is the element of self-awareness, of confidence, of authenticity that for me has come with age. Maybe other people are, are born with it or come into it at a different sense. For me, it's definitely been only in the past few years that I have been able to stand more in my truth and not let the fear of, of being less than whatever that means in my own mind or judgment or being different. And, and each day it unfolds, I was meditating earlier. And basically a lot of what you're just saying drops in about, you know, I've lived so much of my life in this shadow of, of settling of conformity of, of mediocrity you know, mixed with excellence. Like in my mind, I wanted to achieve a certain thing, but maybe not even truly connecting with what that meant about me or what that goal even was for. Whose dream is that? Who wants that? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's this constant place of of dissecting, of introspection, of of letting that truth or that remembrance of who you are come to be. And it's not the easiest path. I'm curious your perspective on this, but it is easier in many ways to just go with the flow and try to fit in. It doesn't feel good in your heart. It doesn't feel good to your soul. But when you think about it from this mind body connection, like, sure, what a why am I going to fight this? Like, I'll just do that. Or I'll just go on that trip or buy the thing. And then all of a sudden, one day you're just like, no, I, I can't, that's, can't do it anymore. Can't do it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you had mentioned when you kind of get away from that path and being, you know, more authentic and feeling solid, did you start to, it, because this is what I felt, I'm curious, like just your body, like everything just felt lighter, you know, not of this heaviness of kind of carrying this around Cause I look back and I'm like, wow, that wasn't really the authentic me because I know what was going on in my head at the time, but whether it was fear or wanting to fit in or whatever the qualities were, I just kept going with that. And so when I finally came to the point where, and I will say this now, like, I feel like I'm living my life a hundred, hundred percent, like it's just me. And I'm sure there are people who would say, no doubt, because you just say what's on your mind, you know, I mean, not without a filter. I'm not going to just say something to somebody else about what's going on in their life, but like, this is me and, you know, <laughs> love me or don't love me. But it made me think going back based upon what you're saying, like when we are younger, you know, we're still trying to figure out too who we are and being a young when I say young, it's not like I was a young parent. I was 28, but I was too darn tired to even be thinking about me to like spend time and be like, you know, introspective. I told my sister when she started having kids and when, you know, they're like up until like two or three, it's just, in my experience, it was like so physically demanding, you know, you're making your food, their food and like your sleep schedule might be off all these different things. And for me that wiped me out. I would put my head on the pillow my mind wasn't thinking, it was just like, thank God I made it through another day and boom, I was asleep. But then what happens is again, my perspective, my, my experience as my kids got older, it was like the emotional wear and tear, you know, when they start to go out into the world, form relationships, they're in school, they're trying to meander through, through things. It was that, worry and that concern and the fear that comes in. So then at the end of the day, my head hit the pillow and it was like all that ruminating and going and going and going. So I think at this stage in life, if I go back to talking about living my life, feeling almost hundred percent of like who I am and what I think and feel inside, I think that's really helped being a parent of my kids. And being grounded, not that I'm grounded all the time, but I don't have to operate from fear and worry when my kids bring something to me or that I know something is going on in their life. Like I have perspective and don't act from, oh my gosh, like, how is this going to affect me? How do I fix this? Whatever. I'm like, okay, this is their life. You've made it through some pretty crappy things. And you've learned from it. And that's what has allowed you to be here now. And you know what? That's what my kids have to do. And that's where we talk about like resiliency. Now that's like a big, you know, Mm -hmm. buzzword. And if kids don't have the opportunity to do hard things and, and, and I would say fail, like, you know, we have to learn that it's okay to fail and try again or realize that wasn't for me or whatever it is. And we don't allow those opportunities and we shelter them. And then they're off at college, which is what we see that return rate of people coming home and they face something, they don't have the skills and they don't have the confidence or the agency to, to stand up to that and try and work their way through.
0: Right. Yeah. I agree with so much of what you said in terms of today's bulldozing or helicopter parenting. And I think it's challenging when you're in a community where that's very prevalent and you maybe have a different parenting style or philosophy where because, like you said, living in a more intentional way, we are able to see the value of having an experience going through hard things. You know, we say that in my house all the time, we can do hard things. It's one of our family mottos. And I also understand not wanting them to suffer and not wanting them to experience any pain or heartache, but that's what makes us who we are. And that's what, again, it's like our perception database. It's our tool chest when something goes on, we have all of this experience to reference. You know, I'll say to my kids when they're like, "Oh this is so hard or I don't know how to do this or I don't want to go do that, what have you not been able to get through? What day in your life have you not made it to the other side of? Mm-hmm. And I really think I totally agree with you that we're doing such a disservice to our children and to the and to the world because they're the future generations when we rob them of the skills of resiliency, of overcoming, of struggling and being able to navigate and learn and overcome disappointment or sadness or, you know, so you're not great at everything. Here's a PSA, we're not great at all the things. It's okay if you don't get the medal. It's okay if that friend chooses another friend. That's life and eventually even though we want to protect them, for me, I feel like the greatest thing that I can do for my children is to teach them independence, is to let them know that they can do it on their own, that they can advocate for themselves. As much as I know when they leave the nest that my heart is going to be broken, that will be my greatest success as a parent is that if they don't need me, (laughs) You know,
1: the two things that came to mind, one is it's the shit where flowers come from, right? Like when we think of farming, cow manure is like known to be like the best fertilizer. Right. And from those experiences, I'll say from the shitty experiences I've had, that's probably where I've learned the most And if I kind of link it to some outcomes, that's where the best outcomes came from. So as a coping mechanism, and I'll talk about this with teenagers, I try, and that's the operative word. I try to remember that because sometimes when we're in, in the midst of hard things, like when we're in the muck and we're in the crap and all that. It's impossible to see that if we've got that like negative chatter going on in our minds. So yeah, I like totally, totally agree with what you're saying. And I forgot my second point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back to you. And I think that it it is, again, a daily practice of using your experience, your perspective, but also allowing them to go through it on their own and come to their own conclusions, they need to embody it for themselves. You can tell it to them a million times. They can read it in a book. They can hear a teacher say it, but until they have that moment of realization, you know, sometimes I question what it is that I should be sharing with them when it comes to all of this spirituality and awareness. You know, we, we talk about things like your reaction, what can you be responsible before? What do you have control over? Things like that. Sometimes I want to say to them, none of it's even real. Like it doesn't even exist. The only thing that you know that's true is what is in this moment at this time. But then I'm like, okay, they're nine and 11. They're not ready for that. But I think just starting to open the gate to what's real is what you create. You are the maker of your own reality. And so you can allow those negative thoughts to shape you and become your truth. Mm -hmm. You can allow the positive thoughts. You can see Mm -hmm. where there's place for neutral, where you can not attach to the outcome of something. What do you think about that? How do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, first of all, let me say, It is so much easier working with other, you know, people's kids, teenagers, (laughs) so much, you know, in my own, you know, it's, it's, you know, comes and goes. And, and the thing is, is for them, their story is their story. I don't talk about what goes on their life, which kind of makes it a challenge sometimes because I don't want everyone to think that my life is hunky dory and like my parenting and with my teenagers, because it's relatable to a lot of what other parents go through. And people will call me and tell me something. And I want to be like, I got you because I'm going through it, but that's not fair to my kids. You know, mm-hmm. that's their, their story, story to tell, but with, I did it again. <laughs>
0: That's why I don't know if you've been noticing that's why I take notes because it'll come in and then I'll like already I was like oh my gosh there was so much that I want to get back to and now we're talking about all this other fantastic stuff. Did you see I just like I have to make sure it's a pen that works. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do that um
1: But, oh, I think I know. Yeah, I think this was it. We all create our own stories, right? With things that happen. And when we look at like the normative stages of kids, what's normal and not normal, of course, to like all the psychologists and studies, you know, that have been done. I think when we start to find ourselves in a place as adults, as we continue to evolve. And I think with our conversation we're having today, we're kind of in a similar space coming into our own and embracing who we are and not trying to go after who someone else is. And not, I mean, I still do that. I'll see something and be like, oh, I got to get my shit together because mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So it's so easy for us to see what we've been through to see that and want with these younger kids to be like, you know, is that real? Is that possible? That's really what happened or is that going on in your mind, you know? And, you know, there's just some things that people just have to go through and it's really hard And probably more so with our, you know, personal kids to see that, to see that happen. I think there was something that you said that made me think of this. And I was hesitant to like even bring this up because if my mom were to listen to this, she'd probably be like, oh, there she goes again. But, and I love her. I'm the oldest of four. My parents were divorced. So I've had Obviously there's me, then my biological sister's four years younger than me. Parents got divorced, mom got remarried and then had my brothers. So they're my half brothers, but we are family and, you know, don't designate that. But there's a 12 and 13 year difference between me and the two brothers. So I was like a caretaker in, in many respects and that's just how I live my life. And that was like my definition and I just didn't have space. This came up recently. I can't think of who I was talking to, but I just didn't even have space to think about how I felt or what was going on or like think about my life. I just went, went, went. And I think I was fortunate. I was not the one to go seek relationships, you know, with friends or guys, but I had them. But things just kind of happened. I didn't have to work at anything. And, And I don't know, maybe I did, but I didn't have the time to really, really think about it. And my, Parents. When I say that my parents, my mom and my stepdad, they thought like the sun, like just rose and was beaming on me all the time, and that I probably always was making good choices and mm-hmm. you know all that kind of thing. So, and I was not making good choices, many. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I was very fortunate, like with some of those negative choices that they didn't impact me long-term, you know? And, uh, but I think always underneath, I was like, oh, but I have this responsibility to be like that second mom. So fast forward, I Get out of graduate school. I had my first job. It was great. For various reasons, I decided to take this position at a hospital as an oncology social worker. This is the day of pagers. It's not like we had cell phones. And I was told, yes, you get to do social work stuff. But really, it was like discharge planning. And so you would just be talking to someone on the bedside. Your pager would go off. And then that means you'd have to say, oh, excuse me, go to a main phone. Because when the pager went off, it means someone was waiting on the line. Bad fit for me, just horrible. Mm-hmm. So then one day, I just, when I say one day, like three months into this job, I just said, you know, this is not for me. I I didn't say I dread coming here, but I knew the effect on my body. So I was living with a roommate. I was responsible for bills. I, my family and their financial position didn't, it was not a safety net. It's not like I could go there. And I had $6.35 in my. Like, Account and it hit me when I got home. I remember, like, I'm such a visual person. I remember exactly how I was laying on the couch, what was going on, where I was looking at, and I called my mom. and And that wasn't really my pattern, like calling my mom to be like, I need comfort type of thing. And it was mm-hmm. nothing against her. It just that wasn't it. And I think it was just the result of how I grew up and like my responsibilities. You know. So I call her, you know, and told her what I did. This is where she's been like, oh, here she goes then again. And she's like, honey, not today. Your brother just called and he's having a bad day. You're my rock of Gibraltar. mm -hmm. And I heard that, but you know, I heard it and I didn't really think about it, but I clearly led my life that way for almost 20 years later. And that was my role. I wasn't conscious. That was my role. And so if I was the record Gibraltar, that means, you know, I don't crack. I'm the one that's there. I'm the ones that's stable. I'm the one that people can depend on. And not only in my
0: family, but like, you know, I, I look back and, you know, that was just who I was. Right. Well, and then you call in relationships that, that make that role even more prevalent. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And
1: Then I think also somewhere along the line that was on a personal level, but then you think of my professional level being a social worker, like a problem solver, right? Right. right. That is a shit show, excuse me. You know, coming together, having that idea or label back there in the head as as the rocket revolter. So it's like if that's my role, and this is me now looking back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Like if that was my role and what was going on, how could I have? been allowed to be myself and be authentic. And so that was the downfall of like my mental health and kind of holding that in. So it's like, if I have these people coming to me asking for advice and opinions and all of that, if I like share with what's going on with me in personal relationships, not professional, they'll be like, oh my God, like, why would I come to you And then I'm like, then who, who am I then? Like, I won't be valued. right? And so going through what I call the valley life's you know, ups and downs, I had some really bad valleys and and which allowed me to look back and see that perspective. And I think that's what got me to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning that I think Mm -hmm. most people who know me will be like, yeah, she just kind of is who she is and does things how she does it. And of course I care. I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but again, I think it was subconscious and eventually kind of came to the forefront. I carried for too long that role and I know what it did to me. And looking back, I can see how I was so miserable and didn't realize it. And a lot of this was back when we lived in Texas and I have great friends back there and my, my kids do. So we still go back frequently. And it's, it's stopped now, but when those first two or three years, when we would go back and the plane would hit the ground and I'd get in the rental car and started like, you know, kind of some routes that I used to drive, I would just get this pit in my stomach and just feel nauseous. And and I didn't realize what it was. And again, everything's perspective. So looking back, because when I hit my mental health low, I'm like, that's why when I started going back, I was like, you know, mm-hmm. so now that I've worked your body remembered the feeling exactly. So now right. that I'm through, I mean, I'm still working through, but now that I've faced the mental health part and awareness and all that, now I can look back and I'm like, man, that's what was, you know, going on. So, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating, you know.
0: It's incredible. And I'm so grateful that you shared that story and were able to sort of make these little goalposts throughout because first of all, we could have parallel lives because my parents also separated when I was young and I took on the role of caretaker for them, which is, you know, different because I'm an only child, but I took on this identity that if I was the good one, if I got the good grades, if I wasn't the troublemaker, that everything would be perfect. I would be able to bring them back together, or I was somehow responsible for their happiness because, you know, as a empath who didn't even know what that was, and I'm still just now really tapping into what my empathic abilities. But back then it manifested as I'm responsible for their happiness. So I need to, like you, if I do X, Y, Z, then I'll be good and they'll be happy and maybe they'll get back together or, you know, feeling that spotlight of you're the light of our lives. You have all this potential, you're all this. And then the way that manifested in me was, first of all, definitely having side that was like <laughs> troublemaking and sneaking out and doing all that stuff, because of course you're a kid, like you have to have an outlet in some ways, but also never really wanting to step outside of this boundary of this box. I don't want to be looked at too much. I don't want to be too out there. I don't want to cause trouble. I just, as long as I fit in this nice small box and my parents could hold me up and my other family could hold me up and look what she's doing. Isn't she good? Isn't she ex- exceeding, excelling? And then what happened was over this period of time, you start to really identify with that's who you are and I really connected with what you said well if I say that something's wrong and I say that I'm struggling or I'm having a problem then who who am I to to help other people who am I'm an imposter I'm a phony I'm a fraud if if I'm not the one that everybody can look to as having all my shit together and then that doesn't feel good at all. When you were talking about earlier, like the weight of shedding that, all I can and should and ever want to be is who I truly am. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me. I'm not here for you. I used to be here for you. I used to be here to make sure that you were happy and you were fed and you were taken care of. and, And I looked good in your eyes. I can't be responsible for the way you see me anymore. I'm like blowing it up, people. (laughs) I love that, I love that. I'm just like, what? And that's, these messages, especially in the past few days, I don't know, There was like the full pink moon and I was like a lot, and now I feel like I'm just shedding it like yesterday and today. It's like, what have I been wasting all this time and energy for? I am doing myself a disservice and I'm doing, I'm, I'm not serving anybody else from this place of depletion or this watered down diluted version of myself. And like you, I, it, would, it would break my heart to know that I had hurt somebody else or, or done something. But what you think about me, I have no responsibility towards that. Like I know that I'm checking my intention and that's where it ends.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. Totally. What came to mind was I was in a, like at my lowest, I went into a outpatient program for Mm -hmm. mental health and, and I hated it. I don't know why mental health places are so nasty overall. And like just not welcoming. And that's not true. There's plenty. Cause I go and tour them because, you know, to know a bunch of resources and I don't want to name where I was at, but it was just dreary, you know? Ooh. And I think some of it, especially waiting rooms, like you don't want to trigger someone. So I get that, but I just did not like going to this place. I'm like, no one's like me. This is like being like my mindset. And if I sit and think about it, obviously I got a lot out of it, but the big thing I got out of it was, and it sticks in my head is like, stop shooting on yourself. Yeah. Just stop shooting on yourself because it was like all the shoulds, all the shoulds, all the shoulds, all the shoulds, right? And I don't think i do it anymore. Maybe it's just kind of ingrained now in me. But when I start doing that back then, I'd be, you know, oh God, blah, 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 blah. You shouldn't, I'm like, stop, stop shooting on yourself. Stop shooting on yourself, you know? The other thing I wanted to bring up, have you seen the movie? I'm, I'm guessing you
0: probably have
1: Disney's Inside Out
0: Yes. Yes. Many years ago.
1: Yeah. So it came out in 2015 and I know this because I watched it last night. So one of the other hats I have is the youth development coordinator with Decatur Prevention Initiative and have this leadership group in May's national mental health awareness month. And so I was like, Hey, let's watch inside out via zoom. So we all saw each other mm-hmm. and we watched it. It sounds like just like you, I saw it when it came out. I saw it once and it speaks to exactly what you said about your experience, you know, growing up. And I didn't even remember the storyline of it. I just remember the cool thing, how they
0: showed the mind and how it all works. Right. But, like it was like with the different emotions, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: And it gets even into memory and core memories mm. and, you know, all of this, but the little girl, she was an only child and there's these images and I will keep this in my mind forever. Cause I think it's really helpful thinking of working with youth and, you know, and adults, but. They moved to San Francisco from Minnesota where they were and things weren't working out. Right. And she sees her parents disagreeing with each other and you see her looking. And then of course they show behind the scenes with all the little characters and she starts to make a joke, right? It's her job. It becomes her job. And her mom puts her to bed one night and her mom says something like, thank you for always, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what it was, but it was something positive. And it was so clear that she took on that role and then was not talking to her parents about how horrible she was feeling inside. And then you've got those emotion characters they show throughout the movie, sadness. Everyone's in there, especially Joy was a character. And she's like, oh, sadness, don't touch that. And there's a part where it's this girl's imaginary friend and he ends up being sad about something joy tries to get him all you know excited and to get over it and sadness comes and sits with him and basically just relates and it's like oh yeah i feel you know that kind of thing and joy stands back and she looks and she's like oh my gosh because it just took a little conversation to hear how the boingo bingo whatever was feeling and to acknowledge that and and we need sadness and the point was like we need sadness because then it can help us connect to others. You're talking about like holding it in the body, that sadness to talk about it, to cry about it, to work it out or whatever it might be, that that's like super important. And right. so this character, when that all came about, it ends basically with her in her parents' arms, crying and talking about like how she misses A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And she held that in that yeah. whole time as that yeah. adult, just like kind of what you talked about.
0: Oh, I need to watch it again. But as you're talking about it, it definitely is making sense to me as a like memory that I remember watching it and feeling definitely like I relate to that part of her trying to make things better for her parents. And then you take on that you can't have the problem. So I would love to hear from you if you would share what are some of your favorite self-awareness practices? What have you been able to tap into that led you to sort of uncover these self-conscious things or, or that in the moment now you're able to, to pull up?
1: Good question. Yoga is one of them. When I had my son, where I was living there was a lifetime fitness. And back then, like I said, this was like 20 years ago, you know, that's in my memory, that's when like yoga started to become mainstream, but it was like, oh, cause this is a good way to be physically fit.
0: Right. And it
1: wasn't the full yoga philosophy, Dharma, all that. And when I moved to Decatur, like we have these great communities where that all came together. So that was instrumental big time. And like realizing in the body and the breath that the head and the body are combined. And there's not this separation because mm, so a lot of times it's like, we've got this head cause we're in there so much thinking but like, as we've learned from the neck down, that whole body, like that's an additional system, like our nervous system and vagus nerve and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I would say that meditation, of course, I'm not always good at staying on top of that. And You know, it started out with like shamatha meditation, just like focusing on the breath, just the awareness. And then as time has gone on, I allow my mind to kind of go with a thought. And I had met someone who probably like the Taoist way of meditating is sitting and how we have the energy in the body. And with like shamatha breathing, it's kind of like, you know, shoulders up and back and like having posture so you can breathe and in the Taoist philosophy or part of it, I haven't really read much about it, but it's sitting. It's not about the structure of your body and it's just kind of letting go. And it's weird. I'd find like my body would start moving. And it, the first time I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. And it was just like what I'm doing right now. This like this subtle rocking could happen mm-hmm. where it's like all of a sudden this little circling, and then it would stop and it would just kind of it was wild. And oh, I
0: love that. It's like the prana, the chi kundalini yes, is sort yes. of all rising, working its way through you. Right. So when I sit, which I would love to say
1: it's been often lately and it's not, I need to get back to that. I didn't sit with an intention. Like I'm going to do this way or focus on this. I just think I'd probably start out of my breath and then just wherever, you know, it goes, it goes, I would say exercise, getting those like endorphins going, allowing the body to end up feeling tired, you know, mm. like I noticed during COVID in the pandemic and the shutdown, in the very beginning, it was like we were bums at my house, you know. And as far as like trying to sleep at night, like I just wasn't like ready to sleep and settle. Right, and like, because you hadn't
0: had, used your body enough.
1: Yeah, sleep sleep is like uber important. And I've recognized that if you have a partner who snores, you need to take care of that. I am trying desperately (laughs) to convince somebody about that, but let me think what else? Oh, I think the big one, and I probably could keep going on and on, but relationships. I, you know, there's the whole introvert extrovert and at the top level, a lot of people think like, Oh, you know, you're outgoing. So you're an extrovert and you're like this and you know, quiet when you go into a situation. And if you delve further, it's really about like where you get your energy from, like what recharges right. you. And cause people would be like, Oh, you're so an extrovert. And after doing some work, I'm like, Oh no, I'm so an introvert. And so trying to explain to people I used to be that yes person. If people were going out, part of it was like, I don't want to miss out. Right. Right. But the other part was just this excitement, like what's going to come of it meeting someone new and maybe there'll be a cool opportunity. And I used to do a lot of fundraising in Texas with my roles. And that's where the ego was. If someone's like, well, you had this up, you know, and I think all that was a factor of like my downfall, you know, of my mental health. And so with being an introvert, recognizing i need time to myself and, and that can just also being at home it doesn't mean people can't be around me in the house but i can't be a yes person to all those social engagements i can't be a yes person to fundraisers and all of that and and so i've had to be mindful of like my relationships with friends And, and I've lost friends for sure as a result of that, because I've said no a lot and I don't go to a lot of things, you know, in my neighborhood, it's very social. And then when I say my neighborhood, like my street, and it doesn't mean I don't like any of them or, you know, value them, but I just can't go do all those things. Like I need to be by myself. So protective of my time. And I would say now that I'm saying all of this out loud, For me, that's probably the number one up on the list that I have to be
0: aware of. I'm so glad that you shared that because I think FOMO is a real, I don't know if it's a a medical condition, but it is a real feeling that people struggle with. I too have subscribed to that. I think I'm recovering from it. I think COVID helped me recover from that because first of all, people weren't doing anything or doing a lot less and then you didn't have to see all the people posting all the things because if they were, it was very small. And it was. I was able to de-hook from some of that FOMO but I can definitely relate to this whole idea of needing space and, and even working through how you identify yourself like the judgment of I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert. Why are we putting these labels and this judgment on this identity? Because we think that one is better because we think that one has more value. I mean, that's so much of the ego getting in the way where if we have the opportunity to have that space and just sit with what feels good to me in this moment, what do I need from a soul level from a physical level, from my mental health, not what do I need to fuel the ego so I don't feel like I'm missing out on something. And that does result in the real life separation from people and things and experiences, which in some ways there's like a grieving process. For me, I definitely have gone through probably a year of grieving my former super active, say yes to everything, never want to let anybody down, never want to turn down something to somebody that's like, mm. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds fun, but I think I'm a no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally get it. Totally get it. Well, I'm glad that you said yes to this because you me too. me too. so many incredible things. I did want to ask you about look for Kind. kind. Yeah. Could me. you share about that? Cause it's yeah. so special.
1: Yeah. Look for kind just kind of came organically, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's world kindness day and not that I ever paid attention to it before, but it popped up on my radar. So when I think it was within the first year of gathered and grounded, It came to mind a bunch of different things. To be honest, I don't know the exact spark when like look for kind just happened, but it was during a time, you know, politics, this was a few years back. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. It was like the Syrian crisis too. There was a Syrian family that a group of us helped out and helped them with a business and all of that. In fact, I was just talking to one of them about it. I mean, and it was to the point where we sat down and we had an escape plan from them from Texas to get up to Canada, like different routes for them to go when there was bad things going on. So that was going on in my life, a bunch of other things and somehow look for kind, you know, came into mind. And the concept is when you easier said than done for sure. But when you make a conscious or subconscious decision to notice and to have this awareness, which brings us out of our thinking mind and you see a gesture you see someone opens a door or someone smiles at you or we can take it to nature I
0: hate when the sun is out when I'm down and depressed I'm like how dare you be out like I want the world to with me you know I need it cloudy I need it overcast I need yes. it needs to be cold it needs to be rainy and thunder it's this- hard to stay mad when the sun is out it is just you know? like I feel super lit up by it I know,
1: I know. So nature, we can view it rather right or wrong is, you know, being kind to us. So when we notice that, when we see those things, you know, there's a moment where there's, for me, it can be powerful, like, okay, wait a minute. There's some good in the world. Hmm. There's something positive. And the story then comes back to, in one of my moments of being really down. And to be honest, it may have been my time in that impatience program because I would be at home. I wasn't staying um, over and I already hate grocery shopping, but it was like do or die. And I'm like, I have to go. And I was checking out and the the clerk behind the counter, she's like, how are you doing today, darling? And it snapped me out of what was going on in my mind. And there was this brief moment that I just had this, I don't even know what word to say, but like just this moment of, ah, maybe I was able to breathe or whatever it was. And And then that moment went away and I was still down, you know, in the valley, but it was a break. It was like a temporary break and it offered hope. And so that's kind of where it came from. So it's morphed into the tagline is see kind, do kind and be kind.
0: Hmm. And
1: you can look at that looking outward in the world, but we can also take that inwardly, you know? And I think sometimes the most hardest thing is to be kind to ourselves. Oh, definitely. Right. Always and, our own worst critic. Yeah. yeah, and do things that are kind to ourselves, which just goes back to like what you were saying—taking care of ourselves. And what are those, you know, practices? And and so I, I do relate it all back to kind of the look for kind. I called it a movement, a project. I don't know what it is because I have big aspirations in my mind. Ooh, I um, love it. I mean, I'm working on some things, but you know, kind of a suicide prevention, mental health. And working with youth and seeing the rates that are going up and in adults, I mean, it's that we don't talk about that as much because there's this focus on youth, but you know, it kind of, it's always been there, but having that morph a little bit to bringing the mission to the forefront. So that's where it's at. And I have stickers that I kind of like keep places. And I try to if I pay a bill somewhere, like more at a restaurant, like I sneak a sticker in there. And I try to get out before they see me because I really don't want them to ask me about it. I just want them to be like, what the heck is this? And maybe they think about it and maybe they go like, what is this? And find the the website or Instagram or, you know, whatever. And just hope that, you know, that ends up being one of those moments. And
0: so yeah, more to come on that. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. That's so beautiful. I feel like that ties in so beautifully with all that you have to offer. The world is to have an experience that impacted you and then be able to pull that out and share it with other people without any connection or intention other than just being of service to other people is such a beautiful gift that you offer to all of us. So not feeling shame about it. Right. right.
1: There's no way this could have happened years ago. Right. Goes back to the beginning of our conversation. Just the stage of life and being where we are and our experiences, you know, bringing us here right now.
0: Yep. All in the right timing.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So how can everybody find you and all that you have going on? Cause it sounds like there's a lot of stuff to come. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so I, I have the gathered and grounded website going it's um, gathered and so that's one piece there is the link on there to look for kind there's a okay page for kind I did start it's called six on Sunday it's a weekly email that I put out and it's just six tidbits of information. I have this spreadsheet. I collect all sorts of things that I see or comes my way out in the internet, social media world. So I just share six of those on Sunday and people do whatever they you know want with it. On Instagram, I have gathered and grounded and I also have look for kind. And that's probably where everything's most active. And then Facebook, you know, gotta have everything. Facebook <laughs> is, Facebook gathered and grounded, but quite honestly, that's where I tend to post more of like offerings where like gathered and grounded on Instagram, you know, just kind of thoughts or information or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And more recently I'm learning to develop. This is the whole LinkedIn thing. Right. And so I'm on there as myself, Marnie Grodzen. But, you know, it goes back to that connection and networking. And I've been involved with a few things lately. And then I started getting these like, oh, so-and-so wants to connect. And I've always had a LinkedIn, LinkedIn account. And I was like, oh, maybe I need to do this now. But I've been so grateful because that's been a fun way to connect to. And again, the way the universe works, now that I don't have the physical space, all that energy for gathered and grounded, all that energy that went into that. It's like, wow, like there's this space to connect more and almost to connect broader, like outside of right here in this community.
0: Well, that's what I was thinking that people listening from all over the country and even further can be able to tap into you and access all the gifts that you have to offer. So that is a positive, although I'm sure it was hard to see the physical piece of it go.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, in a nutshell, I mean, I knew it was coming amongst this COVID, you know, yeah. the writing was on the wall. But when I finally made the decision, the end of the lease was February 28th. The irony is, I signed for a, a new one year lease March 1st of last year. Then the shutdown was the 12th. But here's where like the maturity and the fear and all of that. I, at, in the beginning to so the end of January, you know, I was boohooing and dreading the whole process of shutting it down. Like, I mean, you were there. Like, there's, lo- you know, little nooks and crannies.
0: Oh, it was of fantastic. You know, yeah,
1: all of that. And I'm like, I just didn't want to go through the process. I mean, on the back door. There's too long of a story, but it turned into a sticker door. Like people would put stickers on there. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to like get rid of that, and how am I gonna do this? And I'm like, I just want someone to come and do it all for me, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like boo hoo 2 two-year-old kicking on the ground. And thankfully, I somehow got past that. I'm like, I'm just gonna take the month of February move out. You know, I gave away a lot of things that over the years I'm like, Oh, you know, so-and-so really liked that. Or I can totally picture this kid sitting in this chair. And then, you know, I, I sold some things too. It's like the business part, you know, had to come in. That was all the month of February had some tears and it was like February 22nd ish somewhere in there. I was just like, wow, I walked in, I was done mourning. It felt good. I'm like ready to move on. And I was just so proud of myself because those type of things and, and it'll always be a challenge for me. I would rather not face losses like that and take the time to grieve like that, because that hasn't been my nature. There was never a room for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was like such a huge experience for me and, and, you know, I needed to go through that because I've like, my life's been a little bit crazy now with just other things that have come my way that weren't planned. And that was like such a great tool that I think has allowed me in the last couple months to be resilient in that whole thing of grit, like Angela Duckworth. I didn't put myself in those situations. Life just happened. And so the example of gathered and grounded would be if, if I just said, someone come take all this stuff and just do it for me. Right. That would have been much easier and I wouldn't have had to face what mm-hmm. was going inside or, and, but when we define grit, it's like putting yourself in situations that you know, are going to be challenging and are going to be hard and potentially you could fail at it too. And that was, that was that whole month of February. I was like, suck it up, buttercup. You know, you're <laughs> going to have to, you to have to do it. No one's coming in to rescue you. So right.
0: Well, but you you gave yourself the gift of presence, of awareness. You allowed yourself to do, circling back to what we talked about earlier with, with the kids, you allowed yourself that opportunity to go through something and get to the other side of it. And it's an incredible gift in self-love to know that you have capacity and ability beyond what you maybe thought at the time and now you know it for sure. That was really good what you said I needed
1: to <laughs> it. Thank you. Can we like have these podcast sessions like you know every week?
0: <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> well it's so I love doing this so much it lights me up in the most incredible way not only selfishly do I get to learn from you and all these incredible people who are able to be so generous, so authentic, so vulnerable and sharing everything that they've been through, but to be able to give you a platform to let other people who do not have the gift of this relationship and this community in their life is such a blessing and an honor for me. I'm like, can I do these daily? (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> might be too much, but maybe someday, <laughs> someday maybe. Yeah. Someday yeah. I'm like, where's my daily video? So, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to get to hear all of your experience and wisdom.
1: Well, you're welcome. And thank you for doing this because obviously it's energy going both ways. Like you have been a light in my day and I'm sure you're a light in everybody else who sits on the other side of, you know, I guess, microphone, zoom, you know, whatever platform, right?
0: (laughs) So thank you. Thanks. Thank you all so much for listening to the Open to Alchemy podcast. You can find more about me on all the social places, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse at open.to.alchemy. That's open, the word T-O, alchemy, or at my website, opentoalchemy.com. See you next time.